This is the mop-up for September 6, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Ashley Babbitt was shot to death on January 6 while attempting to crawl through the... Let me just see something here. I want to make sure... Okay, we're good. Let's pretend we're starting all over again, shall we? This is the mop-up for September 6, 2023. Ashley Babbitt, the horsed vessel of the far right, was shot to death on January 6 while attempting to crawl through a broken window and lead a mob of insurrectionists into Nancy Pelosi's office. The United States Capitol Police called the shooting lawful and within the department policy and, quote, potentially saved members of Congress and staff from serious injury and possible death, unquote. Ashley's mother was arrested a few weeks ago outside a Washington, D.C. jail protesting the treatment of the J6ers. That's what they call the January 6 detainees. Her name is Mickey Whithoft. Ashley's mom is named Mickey Whithoft. And a few weeks ago, she was charged with simple assault and destruction of property when counter protesters showed up and uh, protested the people who were protesting. Well, Ashley's mother, Mickey Withoft, is still protesting the treatment of the January 6th detainees, as well she should. I mean, the Washington, D.C. jail is an abomination. Over the weekend, she was in Washington, D.C., protesting the treatment of the J6ers. And here's what she told a crowd of her supporters. And keep in mind, the officer who shot her daughter was an African-American. Quote, the Capitol Police needs to be abolished or at the very least investigated. Michael Byrd, the officer who shot Babbitt, needs to swing from the end of a rope along with Nancy Pelosi. The apple does not fall far from the tree, does it? Well, there's a lot to go over this morning. Enrique Terrio, leader of the Proud Boys, who was found guilty last May of seditious conspiracy for the role he played on January 6th, was sentenced on Tuesday to 22 years in prison. That's the longest sentence for anyone convicted for the Capitol attack. Lawyers for Terrio said they will appeal the sentence. Here is Donald Trump. I want to play this. This is during the 2020 presidential debate against Joe Biden. We all remember this quote. So I want to play it. This is uh, Donald Trump during the 2020 presidential debate giving a message to the Proud Boys. Proud, Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. We all remember that quote. Stand back and stand by. So I'm going to play the full clip from the debate because it shows just how dangerous Donald Trump is. And Biden said some things during this question uh, about Antifa. And Biden deserves a lot more credit. People only remember stand back and stand by or stand by and stand back. But they forget what Joe Biden said. So I'm going to play you more of the clip. Here is the clip. He didly criticized the, the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa and other left wing extremist right. groups. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups sure. and 
to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, go would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing. OK, everything I see is from the left wing. OK, he continues. Not from the right. So wing. what are you what are you, you what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. You want to call him? What do you want to call him? Give me a name. Give me a white name. Supremacist and white, like white supremacists and right. Would you like me to condemn white supremacists and right proud boys? boys stand back and stand by. Okay, that's the famous quote. Now listen to what he the lies he spreads about Antifa, the left, and listen to Joe Biden. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left, because this is not a right his wing own, problem. This, is a, this is a left wing. This is a left wing White supremacist. Antifa is an idea, not an organization. Oh, you got it. Not malicious. That's what okay. his it's an idea. FBI his okay. FBI director Gentlemen, said. Well, we're then gonna, you know what? No, no, that, we're, done, we're done, sir. Everybody, we're moving on to the next. We're moving on to the next. That's not an idea. Everybody Antifa in your administration tells you the truth is a, has a bad idea. Can I tell you what? You have no idea. Antifa is a dangerous radical. All right, radical gentlemen, group. we're now moving on to the Trump and, and Biden records. They'll overthrow you. When a president, I'm going to ask a question. Biden said, Everybody in your own White House who tells you the truth is giving you a bad idea. That's what Biden said. More importantly, he quoted Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, who testified under oath that Antifa is an ideology. It's not an organization. It's just a lie that Donald Trump is spreading. Good on Joe Biden. Enrique Terrio is now going to be doing time. Here is Enrique Terrio. Weeks before January 6, revving up a crowd in Washington, D.C. And ladies and gentlemen, right here, right now, the most important thing that we have going for us is that we all share the same belief. The belief that we should put America first. America first! America first! America first! America first! America first! Unless you're black, Arab, Jewish, or a member of the LGBTQ community. That's Enrique Terrio in 2021. Here is Enrique Terrio. You might remember him when he hosted Dance Fever back in the 80s. That's Enrique Terrio, host of Dance Fever. And here is Enrique Terrio ensuring a peaceful transition of power as he hands over the dance fever hosting duties to his successor, Adrian Zemed. Very, very peaceful transition of power, unlike what we saw on January 6th or with Jay Leno and Conan O'Brien. Now, my mother always told me clothes make the man, right? And this is Enrique Terrio, right? He looks, he looks Pretty tough clothes make. This is his mugshot. <laughs> Not the same guy, right? This is uh, this is the real Enrique Terrio, and this is Enrique Terrio dressing the way my mother would tell him: wear a nice cap, maybe a bulletproof vest. Don't look like a, you look like a schlub that way. Don't go out in public like that. Nobody's going to fear you if you look like that. 
That's Enrique Terrio. I'm telling you, clothes make the man. Well, Reuters back in 2020. Reuters back in 2021 reported that Enrique Terrio was an FBI informer. Here is Aaron Rostin from Reuters just weeks after January 6. Enrique Terrio is the leader of the extremist group The Proud Boys. He also has a, quote, prolific past as an informer for federal and local law enforcement, repeatedly working undercover for investigators after he was arrested in 2012. That's according to a former prosecutor and a transcript of a 2014 federal court proceeding obtained by Reuters. In a hearing in Miami, a federal prosecutor, an FBI agent, and Tario's own lawyer described his undercover work, saying he had helped authorities prosecute more than a dozen people in various cases involving drugs, gambling, and human smuggling. Tario's lawyer said in court that his client was a, quote, prolific cooperator. A prolific cooperator. Here's more from Aaron Rostin from Reuters just weeks after January 6. In an interview with Reuters Tuesday, Tario denied working undercover or cooperating in cases against others. Quote, I don't know any of this, he said when asked about the transcript, adding, quote, I don't recall any of this. Law enforcement officials and the court transcript contradict Tario's denial. Interesting, isn't it? That's we've talked about this before, but I found the Reuters report and I thought I'd share it with you. The person who's serving the longest from January 6 is somebody who was an FBI informant. That's according to Reuters. And we've talked about this on the show. Enrico Terrio was also working with the Washington, D.C. Police Intelligence Unit in the lead up to January 6. And he gets the longest sentence out of everybody. Just asking why, I find it curious. Well, Donald Trump's White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, pleaded not guilty to charges of racketeering on Tuesday in the Georgia election trial. Meadows, along with four other defendants, have asked that their trial be moved into a federal courtroom. Last week, during an evidentiary hearing, the judge told Meadows he would try to make a decision as to whether the trial should be moved into a federal courtroom. But he warned Meadows that if you don't get a ruling from me by Labor Day, you'll be forced to make a plea before a Fulton County judge. And that's what happened. Meadows did not appear in court on Tuesday. He made his plea by filing it with the judge on paper, and he waived the right to an arraignment where the judge officially informs him what he has been charged with. And then Meadows, when you're arraigned, then after you're officially informed, I'm explaining what an arraignment is. When you're arrested and then you're arraigned and you go before a judge and it's habeas corpus, the judge explains why you're being held or why you're being charged, what you're being charged with, and then you enter your official plea. Meadows didn't want to fly down to Fulton County, so he waived the right to be arraigned. That's what's going on with former Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who pled guilty on Tuesday. John Eastman, Meadows' co-defendant, also pleaded not guilty on Tuesday and then requested that his trial be severed from the larger trial so he could be 
tried separately. I don't know how that's going to work quite yet. Kenneth Cheesebro, the lawyer charged with helping to organize the phony elector scheme, was the very first defendant to invoke his right to a speedy trial, which was then scheduled to take place in mid-October. That's what Eastman is looking for. Sidney Powell, another lawyer, charged, among other things, with breaking into a Coffee County, Georgia voting machine, has also requested a speedy trial, but no date has been set for her quite yet. Scott McAfee, the Fulton County Superior Court judge presiding over this trial, has scheduled hearings later on Wednesday to determine whose cases might be severed. Meanwhile, lawyers for Donald Trump are asking that he not be given a speedy trial, but instead they're requesting that Donald Trump's trial be delayed until 2026. They're insisting they simply don't have the time to prepare. Trump's trial will not be the only RICO case in Atlanta. 61 activists who have been trying to block Atlanta from building Cop City that's a $100 million police training facility that would destroy one of America's last remaining inner city forests. 61 activists have been indicted and will be prosecuted under Georgia's anti-racketeering law by the state's attorney general. Protesters are accused of running a criminal and these are protesters. They're accused of running a criminal enterprise involving money laundering, arson, and domestic terrorism in their attempts to stall the construction of the new police training center. One activist was recently shot to death by police officers after a police officer was wounded, but there is no proof that the police officer was shot by the protesters. The indictment accuses the protesters of being funded by agitators from outside Georgia, because why would the people living in Georgia, why would uh, why would they not want to spend one hundred million dollars to further militarize their police? That's little game they play. They say, oh, it's outside agitators because the good people of Georgia couldn't possibly be against spending one hundred million dollars on cop city. Uh, prosecutors. In the indictment described organizers of the protest against Cop City. They're not they're called defend the Atlanta Forest. Those are the uh, people being indicted defend the Atlanta Forest in the indictment. They're described as an anti-government, anti-police and anti-corporate extremist organization. Are they describing the defend the Atlanta Forest people or the show? The first black woman to be in charge of Philadelphia's 6,000-strong police force, Danielle Outlaw, that's her name, Danielle Outlaw, announced she will resign as police commissioner after three years on the job. Police commissioner Outlaw will take a job being in charge of the security for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, where she will change her last name from Outlaw to Fairjumper. Wow. I thought three days off would clear my mind. Uh, but that is pretty cool to have a police commissioner whose last name is Outlaw. Outlaw came under heavy criticism during the Black Lives Matter protests back in 2020 when her officers fired tear gas and rubber bullets at demonstrators 
And that resulted in a $9.2 million settlement that was paid out to Black Lives Matters activists. In July of this year, New York City agreed to pay $13 million or roughly $10,000 to each Black Lives Matter protester who was beaten by cops in 2020. This is the largest settlement ever awarded to protesters in any city in American history. New York State Attorney General Letitia James has also sued the New York Police Department, the New York City Police Department. She filed the lawsuit two years ago for its treatment of Black Lives Matter protesters. The attorney general's investigation found 2,000 mostly peaceful protesters in New York City were arrested for absolutely no reason and were victimized by excessive force with police using batons or ramming their vehicles into them. The attorney general also accused the New York City police of arresting medics who were there to attend to the injured, as well as locking up members of the press for no reason, as well as locking up what are called legal observers working for the city to monitor the police response to protesters. The state attorney general of New York found that while there had been looting, the New York City police were guilty of conflating peaceful protesters with lawbreakers and began sweeping innocent protesters up with troublemakers. Now, in a separate settlement last March, the city of New York also agreed to pay $21,500 each, each to the hundreds of protesters in the Bronx who were what is called kettled during the 2020 protests. Kettling is a police maneuver where protesters are cornered by the police, and it's like drift net fishing. The protesters are rounded up and arrested. It's like a drift net. On Tuesday, Letitia James, New York's attorney general, announced a settlement with the New York City Police Department. From now on, all protests in New York City will be monitored by an independent commission made up of the New York State Attorney General. And that commission will also include representatives from the New York Civil Liberties Union and the Legal Aid Society. Another win for Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is the most successful civil rights protest since the 60s. Uh, You cannot overstate how important Black Lives Matter was and continues to be. This new agreement will also put an end to kettling in New York City. Of course, New York City's police union opposes this new settlement. Well, uh, I say to the cops who don't like this new settlement, go find uh, another job. you know, we're spending billions and billions in the past decade here in New York City. Billions have been paid out to citizens of New York City because of cops who can't control their pent up rage. So look it up. If you look at the past decade, taxpayers in New York City have had to cough up billions in, in legal settlements because of cops who can't control their temper. There are too many bad cops in New York City who are just waiting to hurt someone. And that's costing me and the city 
billions and billions that could be spent on things like social workers, social workers who would minimize the need for cops in the first place. So if you're a cop in New York City, you don't like the First Amendment, you feel threatened by protesters, go find another job. Don't be a cop. Nobody is forcing you to be a cop. There is no draft. OK, stop being pussies. Stop playing the victim card. You're the ones with the military grade hardware. You're not the victims. And you're costing me billions. You're costing my city billions. Stop being a cop. We don't need you. OK, I'm sick of the qualifier. Not all cops are bad. OK, I'm sick of that. All right. Because statistically speaking, in terms of solving crime, yes, they're all bad. They're all bad. We've talked about Shima Boham. She's a professor of criminal law at the University of Utah. And this is what she wrote three years ago. This is she's not the outlier here. This is this is what most people in criminal justice know, but they won't admit it to anybody because they want to keep funding the police. This is all about money not keeping us safe. OK, this is uh, one of the many articles written about how useless cops in the United States are. This is from the Chicago Reporter. It's by Professor Shima Bauham. The headline is police solve just two percent of all major crimes. Everyone knows this who works in our criminal justice system. Everyone knows the police only solve 2% of all major crimes. But if they admitted to it publicly, they wouldn't get the billions and billions of dollars to be useless, which is what they mostly are. Okay, here, this is from the professor's article. I'm going to read it out loud. Oh, let's go big on this. My recent review of 50 years of national crime data confirms that, as police report, they don't solve most serious crimes in America. This is not something new. The police report this. Everybody knows this in the criminal justice system, okay? My recent review of 50 years of national crime data confirms that, as police report, they don't solve most serious crimes in America. But the real statistics are worse than police data show. In the U.S., it's rare that a crime report leads to police arresting a suspect who is then convicted of the crime. The data show that consistently over the decades, fewer than half of serious crimes are reported to police. Few, if any, arrests are made in those cases. In reality, about 11% of all serious crimes result in an arrest and about 2% end in a conviction. Therefore, the number of people police hold accountable for crimes, what I call the criminal accountability rate, is very low. And it's below 2% when you talk about sexual assault and rape. I don't want to get into the untested rape kits. So we won't even we've we've talked about this on the show before. Cops know this. They're just not going to talk publicly about it. And no politician is going to tell you that this 
this, this. Police solve just 2% of all major crimes. Every year, we, we give them more and more money, and all they do is solve 2% of all major crimes. As uh, Professor Baum points out, they do social work, essentially. The police are patrolling the streets and doing social work, but that's not what they're trained to do. It would be better to replace a lot of these cops with social workers, but then we wouldn't fill up our prisons with cheap labor or free labor, would we? So 2% of all major crimes solved by the police, which explains why in Austin, there's this headline from the Austin American Statesman, People should report nonviolent jugging robberies to 311, not 911. There was a little problem in Austin. I'll read you. This is from the uh, Austin. Here we go. This is from the Austin American Statesman. The Austin Police Department on Tuesday clarified a social media post asking residents to call 311, a non emergency line for city services if they've been robbed after leaving a bank or an ATM. The police department said people who are victims of nonviolent jugging incidents should report those to 311. However, people who were threatened or victims of robberies should still call 911. Jugging refers to a theft after someone leaves a bank or ATM and is followed. Austin police said members of the public should call 311 or make a report online if money was stolen out of their car. But if any other type of robbery occurs, or if you were threatened, then it should be reported to 9-11. The police have more important things to do than deal with street crime. They have to make the streets safe for us, so they can't deal with street crime. What what else are they doing? What are there that many black motorists driving around with air fresheners dangling from their rearview mirror? I mean, that just seems to be what cops do. They look for the low hanging fruit and give out traffic summons to fund the city. I mean, that's really what cops do in a lot of towns. They don't raise taxes on the rich. What they do is they hire as many police as they possibly can, and the police just cruise around waiting for a black person to have something dangling from a rearview mirror, and they put them in a perpetual cycle of debt with court fees and bench warrants, and eventually they get sent to a, a jail, especially in Texas, jail or prison, where you literally, in co I'm not making this up, in Texas, they have prisoners Picking cotton for free in Texas. That's they don't in Texas. 13th Amendment loophole. We've been over this a million times in Texas. Prisoners get paid nothing and they pick cotton. The great state of Texas. Well, I'll get back to Texas in a second. New York State Attorney General Letitia James is suing Donald Trump and his two idiot sons in civil court for $250 million and trying to ban them from ever running a business in her state, or at least for five years. 
The trial begins on October 2nd, and the attorney general is now accusing Trump of inflating the values of his properties and then using the inflated values as collateral in order to take out loans from banks. It's fraud, right? The attorney general also says Trump and his idiot kids then devalue what their properties are worth when they are paying their taxes. More fraud. On Tuesday, Letitia James asked the state Supreme Court to sanction Trump and his lawyers for their delay tactics that both she and the presiding judge are now calling amateurish, amateurish. The state attorney general said that more than a year ago, Trump and his lawyers filed a motion to have this trial moved into a federal courtroom because they insist this case does not fall under the jurisdiction of the New York state attorney general. But the Supreme Court of New York said, no, we reject your argument. Continue. The trial continues. But then lawyers for Trump filed the same motion. It was rejected. And then they filed the same exact motion again. And Letitia James is now saying October 2nd, the trial begins, Your Honor. Let's sanction Trump and his lawyers $25,000 for these delay tech, these amateurish delay tactics. Okay, that's State Attorney General Letitia James. She's going after Trump. She's protecting protesters from the New York City police. And then you have Texas. There's the uh, Republican Attorney General uh, who was impeached in May of this year by the Texas House of Representatives on charges of bribery and abuse of the public trust. Ken Paxton, that's the attorney general, his trial in the state Senate began on Tuesday. The trial focuses primarily on Paxton's relationship with a wealthy donor to his campaign who arranged allegedly to give Paxton's mistress a job as well as remodel pay for the remodeling of the attorney general, his $1 million home. So there's a mistress. And to make things worse for Ken Paxton, his wife is a state senator. But she can't save him because, according to Texas law, since it's her husband on trial, she has to recuse herself. Here is the lieutenant governor of Texas, the odious Dan Patrick, presiding over the trial on Tuesday, asking Paxton for uh, whether he pleads guilty or not guilty. The clerk will read the next article. Article 9, constitutional bribery, Paul's employment of mistress. While holding office as attorney general, Warren Kenneth Paxton engaged in bribery in violation of Section 41, Article 16, Texas Constitution. Specifically, Paxton benefited from Nate Paul's employment of a woman with whom Paxton was having an extramarital affair. Paul received favorable legal assistance from or specialized access to the office of the attorney general. Attorney General Paxton, how do you plead? Those allegations are flat out false. The attorney General pleads not guilty. That was Paxton's attorney pleading not guilty for Paxton. The trial is expected to last anywhere between two to three weeks. The 31 members of the Senate, not including Paxton's wife, will serve as the jury and it will resemble a civil lawsuit with both a prosecutor and, as we just heard, a defense attorney. Paxton, back in 2020, as Texas State Attorney General, 
petitioned the United States Supreme Court, along with several other Republican attorneys general, to have them, the Supreme Court, reverse the presidential election and award Donald Trump. As the winner, it failed. Some shocking news from the Wall Street Journal, a new Wall Street Journal poll of likely voters shows that if the presidential election were held today, Joe Biden and Donald Trump would be in a dead heat with each man garnering 46 percent of the vote. Gets worse. This is from the Wall Street Journal on the question is uh, who is too old to run for president? A little under 75 percent of the people polled said Joe Biden is too old and about 48 percent said Trump is too old. The next question is, who is mentally up for the job? About 40 percent said Biden was and about 48 percent thought Trump was. More people think Donald Trump is more mentally up for the job than Joe Biden. Who cares about people like you? It's split down the line. And honesty, uh, more people polled think Joe Biden is a little more honest than Donald Trump. Who has a vision for the future? 52% say Trump does and about 48% Biden. Who has a strong record of accomplishments as president? This blows me away. About 52% say Trump and about 40% say Biden. Who is a likable person? Uh, about 48% say Joe Biden and 30% say Trump. So American voters say Biden is more honest. Uh, Trump is uh, less likable. But there are other factors that Americans take into account. Uh, or maybe they're just susceptible to lies. How could you think that Donald Trump has a stronger record of accomplishments as president than Joe Biden? More people think Donald Trump was more successful as president than uh, Joe Biden. Uh, well, I've stayed away from this story, and I'll tell you why in a second. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell returned to Washington on Tuesday. He spoke in the well of the Senate. His speech was slow, but, you know, normal. Wasn't that bad. As most of you know, six days ago, McConnell froze up in public for the second time this summer. And people on both sides of the aisle are saying he's too old for the job. You know, I'm no fan of Mitch McConnell's. But uh, you get a guy who's 80, he's going to freeze. You know, it's like a vintage car. They freeze sometimes. But there's also a lot of value to having someone who's 80 serving as president or minority leader. Yeah, they're they're slow, but that's the whole point. Someone who's 80 knows what's important. You know, Louis Armstrong said, the older I got, I played fewer notes, but I played them a whole lot better. That's what comes with age. I'm not defending Mitch McConnell. I'm just saying this freezing is not 
important. You know, it's not like he has to make life and death decisions like, are we going to go to war tomorrow? Okay. 80, there, there's value to having an 80 year old uh, as president. Bernie is 80. You know, it's not about how sharp you are. It's what you know. Being sharp is not that important. It's what you know. And uh, honestly, you know, I couldn't care less about Mitch McConnell. I will say this. Uh, I know he ruined our courts. Merrick Garland should be on the Supreme Court. That was a Democratic seat that went to Gorsuch. And those other two far-right extremists McConnell got on the court, well, we're going to be paying a price for decades to come because of that. But I kind of feel he, tr he kept Trump in line for four years. I mean, McConnell, he got his big tax cuts from Trump for the rich, and he got his picks for the courts. But in terms of reigning in Trump, it felt like he slowed the march. Oh, who am I kidding? I was going to say McConnell slowed the march to fascism. He voted twice not to remove Trump from office. I'm wrong. F, F him. I just don't like to see. Uh, well, anyway, I'm getting soft. Uh, yeah, the National Hurricane Center says a tropical storm has formed in the Atlantic just near Western Africa and has been given the name Hurricane Lee. Lee will become a major hurricane by the weekend, but may not hit the United States. Meanwhile, last week's Hurricane Idalia is reported to have killed one person in Florida and another in Georgia. Warner Brothers Discovery said on Tuesday that striking writers and actors have probably cost the company as much as half a billion dollars. But let's find out what Bill Maher has to say, because he's so brave. You know, he's a liberal and he sticks it to the man. He says the things we're all too scared to say. I mean, we think them, but he says them out loud. He's dangerous because he sticks it to the man Bill Maher does. So his show is on HBO and that is owned by Warner Brothers Discovery. That's losing half. What, what did I say? It's half a billion dollars. And uh, Bill Maher's show has been shut down thanks to the strike, but he has his own podcast where he can opine on the writer's strike. So let's see what liberal Bill Maher has to say. I'm sure the liberal renegade who isn't afraid to uh, take on Muslims uh, is really I'm sure he's going to stick it to the man. Right. Let's find out what Bill Maher has to say about the, the strike. This is what he said on his podcast. OK, quote, the writers, they're asking for a lot of things that are like kooky. They kind of believe that you're owed a living as a writer and you're not. This is show business. This is the make or miss league. He's a pimp. Bill Maher is a pimp. You're not owed a living as a as a writer. What kind of statement is that to make? We're in the middle of a strike, and this pimp, Bill Maher, doesn't care that people, actors, writers are losing their homes, their cars, applying for food stamps. And this pimp, Bill Maher's hot take is nobody is owed 
a living as a writer. Nobody is owed a living as a writer, said one of the most entitled pricks in comedy. Yes, as a matter of fact, they are owed a living as a writer. Everybody is owed a living. I'll tell you what nobody is owed. Nobody is owed $50 million a year like the boss at uh, the Discovery Channel you're sucking up to. Nobody's owed $50 million a year or whatever you make, Bill Maher, just because you have sharp elbows and do whatever your corporate paymaster tells you to do. Way to stand up for your writers in the middle of a brutal strike, Bill Maher. Man of the people. When are people going to wake up to Bill Maher? Well, they have, right? People in their 90s think he's relevant. That's why are we even... Well, anyway... Then the subject turned to the other late night hosts like Fallon, Kimmel, Seth Meyers, Colbert. They're doing a podcast right now to raise money for their writers and other people who've lost their jobs because they care about the union and their picketing. That's what good, decent people who host a television show do. They support their writers. This is uh, Bill Maher, who, uh, what he has to say about the other late night hosts helping out their writers. Quote, those guys, he's talking about the other late night hosts, don't have takes. I have takes. I have a take on things. What they do is say exactly what a liberal audience wants them to say about the strike, as opposed to you, Bill Maher, who says exactly what Zasloff, your boss over at HBO, wants you to say. OK, so let's hear the brilliant Bill Maher's take without his writers, by the way, they're on strike. OK, so this is Bill Maher's brilliant take on the writer strike and the actor strike. The strike is a perfect example those guys, we're, we're ta he's talking about, you know, uh, Seth Meyers and, and Colbert and Kimmel, and uh, I'm leaving somebody out. The, the strike is a perfect example. Those guys would never go back. The strike could go on until the 24th century, and they, they, would stay, they would still stay out. Well, that's how solidarity usually works, Bill Maher. It's funny... In this conversation that he has on his podcast, no whining about his bosses. In the conversation on his podcast, Bill Maher literally says the writers and the actors picked the wrong time to strike because he said the studios are strapped for cash right now because of all those streaming services they've started. He said, literally said, you picked the wrong time. You should have more sympathy for the studios. Okay? Way to stick it to the man, Bill Maher. He continues. Here we go. I feel for my writers. I love my writers. I'm one of my writers. But there's a big other side to it. And a lot of people are being hurt besides them. Uh, yeah, there's a big other side to it. No, Bill Maher, 
you're a member of the Writers Guild of America. You're a member of SAG-AFTRA. There is no big other side to the strike. Which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on? When someone says there's a big other side, it means they're on the other side. You got rich, Bill Maher, and you don't give a shit about anyone else but yourself. And a lot of people, you say, are being hurt by the strike. And you say it's the fault of the strikers. Not the boss, not the boss making 50, 100 million dollars a year, not willing to share any of it, hiding the numbers from the union, hiding the money, keeping them in shell companies. Bill's idea of solidarity is solidarity with the bosses, right? That's who this pimp Bill Maher identifies with. He continues... I'm devoting way too much energy to this man. A lot of people who don't make as much money as them in this bipart boy, Mr. Uh, college educated writer. I, a lot of people who don't make as much money as them. You know, you need writers. It's as they. A lot of people who don't make as much money as they in this bipartisan world we have where you're just in one camp or the other, there's no in between. OK, so what he's saying is he wants nuance, right? Uh, it's it's and he's saying it's it's the writers who are the greedy ones. You know, uh, not as many people in Hollywood make the kind of money that writers do. So writers should think twice before going on strike because there are a lot of people who earn less. This is class, classic right-wing propaganda. It's the workers in a strike who are the greedy ones, not the bosses. It's the workers who are depriving the people who, uh, who want to work a living. This is, this is the logic they use to undermine a strike. He should be kicked out of the union. He should be thrown out of the Writers Guild and thrown out of SAG-AFTRA. I mean, this is classic management speak. Uh, that that the, the writers are making so much money, they're not thinking about the people below them. The writers aren't making so much money. They rarely work. And so, yeah, they might get a nice payday when they work, but most writers aren't working. So they get paid a little more to make up for all the weeks and months and years where they got nothing. He should be thrown out of the union. He should be sanctioned and then thrown out of the union. Meanwhile, the United Auto Workers say they will shut down Detroit in two weeks unless the three big automakers come to the bargaining table and negotiate in good faith. Watch how mainstream media spins this and makes the auto companies, which have made billions this year off our tax dollars. They're making billions because of the Inflation Reduction Act, because of the incentives in the bipartisan infrastructure deal. All the tax dollars and the billions that the automakers pocket, 
and the UAW wants a livable wage to keep up with inflation. But watch how the news media will spin this. They'll say the UAW is going on strike. What will this mean for car prices? What does this mean for you? How about what it means for the UAW, for the auto workers? Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy who has been crusading for election integrity, says he is completely broke and has had to borrow $10 million to keep his company going. Who would lend Mike Lindell $10 million? Lindell made these comments during a telethon to raise money to pay the legal fees for the 16 fake Republican electors who were indicted over the summer by Michigan State Attorney General. Besides spending millions to prove the 2020 presidential election was stolen, Lindell is also being sued for defamation in two separate civil trials filed by Dominion and one filed by Smartmatic voting machines. Jenna Ellis is one of the lawyers indicted, along with Donald Trump and 17 other co-defendants in the Georgia racketeering case. She keeps asking Trump to pay some of her legal fees, but he won't do it. A lot of people think she's going to flip because of that. She has taken to crowdfunding. And according to Forbes magazine so far, since she was indicted, Jenna Ellis has raised close to $200,000. Forbes says John Eastman, the lawyer charged with helping Rudy Giuliani organize the fake elector scheme, he's raised close to half a million dollars for his legal fees since he was indicted. Peter Navarro's contempt of Congress trial began on Tuesday. Navarro was Trump's White House advisor. He dreamed up the Green Bay sweep, which would have slowed down the counting of electoral votes on January 6th. The January 6th committee ordered Navarro to testify. Navarro refused, citing executive privilege. And now the trial begins to determine whether Trump ever invoked executive privilege, whether or not Trump ever told Navarro not to testify. So far, there doesn't seem to be any evidence that Donald Trump invoked executive privilege. Even Navarro's attorney, Stanley Baldwin, uh, no, it's not Stanley, Stanley Woodward. Who is Stanley Baldwin? Stanley Baldwin was um, the prime minister of England when Edward stepped down for the woman he loved. It's Stanley Woodward, not Stanley Baldwin. Stanley Woodward is his, his attorney. Peter Navarro's attorney is the great Stanley, <laughs> the great Stanley Woodward. And apparently Stanley Woodward is expensive and Trump isn't paying his legal fees like he normally does, or at least that's what Peter Navarro is complaining about. On Tuesday, Navarro said, quote, by the time the trial finishes, I expect those legal fees to hit seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Navarro then added, quote, do I look like a rich man? This is the same suit I wore in 2017 going into the White House. OK. These legal fees, you know, I, I'm not shedding a tear for these guys, but. These legal fees need to be looked into. This is scandalous what what it costs 
to be defended in Washington, D.C. In a previous interview with Rolling Stone, Navarro complained about how the attack on the Capitol destroyed his beautiful, well-thought-out Green Bay sweep. I've talked about the Green Bay sweep. The idea was just have every Republican in the Senate and the House challenge each electoral slate and each challenge would take two two hours. So you would be going from January 6th. It's like January 9th. They would just slow the entire process down. So he told Rolling Stone that he was all excited about his Green Bay sweep. And he told Rolling Stone, quote, all it required was peace and calm on Capitol Hill for it to unfold. And then you have two things that went awry. First came the riot, which halted debate. Then, when the session resumed, Pence betrayed me. Poor guy. Meanwhile, Rudy Giuliani has been held in contempt for failing to pay one of his ex-wives alimony. It gets worse. Rudy Giuliani reportedly owes the phone company close to $60,000. Rudy's Upper East Side apartment is up for sale. And he's asking $6.5 million for it. But who knows how much he's already borrowed against it. Take a look. This is where Rudy currently lives. And he is thankfully going to lose this because he doesn't deserve to live that nicely. I'm thinking Rudy's going to decide to go to prison because he has no place else to live. Where, where he's going to live? Maybe they can put him up in Rikers. That would be poetic justice. Eh, nobody should be in Rikers except Rudy. Meanwhile, a former employee of Rudy, her name is Noelle Dumphy, is suing Rudy for $10 million, claiming um, I shouldn't be laughing. Let me start again. A former employee of Rudy Giuliani, Noelle Dumphy, is suing him for $10 million, claiming he raped her that he demanded oral sex while talking to Donald Trump on the phone, was addicted to chewing Viagra like they were Tic Tacs. He began drinking in the morning and was prone to, quote, alcohol-drenched rants against blacks and Jews, unquote. Nicole Dumphy said Rudy told her she was the first woman who ever turned him on. He said he had never who was smart. He said he he said, I, I've never been turned on by a smart woman before. Uh, Rudy is a sapiosexual. That's what sapiosexual means. He's a sapiosexual is a is a person who finds intelligent people sexually attractive more than everything else. So, like, are you a legs guy, you know, breasts, you know, brain? That's that's what a sapiosexual is. And every man on their first date is a sapiosexual. That's what they they all say. But this is an actual quote from Rudy Giuliani from <laughs> the deposition. This is what Rudy said to her. I never think about a girl being smart. If you told me a girl was smart, I would often think. <laughs> He's 
on tape saying, I never think about a girl being smart. If you told me a girl was smart, I would often think she's not attractive. Oh, boy. What a guy. <laughs> on Monday, Elon Musk complained that ad revenue for Twitter is down 60%, and he blamed it on the Jewish Anti-Defamation League, blaming Jews for a 60% downturn in ad revenue. I'm pretty certain that's exactly why there's an Anti-Defamation League for the Jews. Well, a, a Delta jet flying from Atlanta to Spain had a turnaround after a passenger's diarrhea got so bad um, this is the truth, okay? I didn't want to report this. A, uh, a Delta jet flying from Atlanta to Spain had a turnaround after a <laughs> Sorry. After a passenger's diarrhea got so bad, <laughs> so bad, it began dribbling down the aisle and the pilot had to make an emergency... <laughs> Had to make an emergency landing, claiming there was a biomedical disaster inside the cabin. The Delta jet landed safely, and the passenger who sprung the leak was immediately carried out on a stretcher and taken to a hospital. I don't know. You know, <clears throat> I have a lot of rage issues, and I'm pretty sure if... I was that passenger who sprung the leak. In terms of my rage issues, I'd be good for years. I think you'd do a major blowout like that on an international flight that for forces Delta to turn around. They lose millions of dollars. Uh, I'm pretty sure for me, that would tamp down my rage issues for at least a decade. I'd be If I were that guy... I'm good. I'm good. I mean, you know, if they gave out MacArthur Genius Grants in the category of passive aggressive behavior, this guy would be like they'd stop giving it out. They'd give it to this guy and then they'd say, what's the point? Why, why hand this MacArthur Genius Grant out for passive? We will never find a more passive aggressive genius than Diarrhea Man. Because nobody, nobody can top this. I wish I did this. I, I, I would be the happiest guy in the... Like, I wouldn't have a care in the world. He, he ruined a flight from Atlanta to Spain. And this is the genius... This is the passive-aggressive genius behind... You'll pardon the expression, this. Okay? He ruins the flight to Spain... But he's the victim in all this, right? This is the genius. This is passive. I mean, I may do this. You saddle a packed jet filled with all these happy tourists who can't wait to get to Spain. You saddle the jet with your, your own fundament. It's so rancid, the pilot calls it a biomedical emergency, calls it a hazard. And you're the victim, right? Everyone sees you wheeled out there. Everyone is covered in your effluvium, right? 
like they're talking to each other and they're spitting it out between their lips as you're being wheeled out. And they're th- I hope he's OK. I hope he's OK. Like they're not talking, not the carpet, not the walls, not my shoes or my briefcase. Him. I hope he's OK. I want to be this. I would give anything to be this guy. I would be in a perfect Zen space easily for a decade if I could do this to a, a packed flight. Uh, I, I If I cleared out, like if somebody would cut me off in traffic after that, or my internet company leaves me on hold for 45 minutes, my rage would be non-existence. I would just stare off into space and think, Remember when I turned that plane around? That was great. That was so great. Everyone thought they were going to Spain, but I said, nah, I don't think so. Get a load of this. That's what I believe, having the power to do something like that. I believe the State Department calls it soft power. I think that's, you know, it's so, it's it's not in your, well, it was in your face, but it's like, it's not something you brag about. It's something you just do and you know you can do it. Uh, to, to have the kind of diarrhea that can turn a jet around. Uh, if I could do that, I would strut the world like a colossus. Uh, knowing that I had that inside of me, I, I believe some people would call it uh, big dick energy, Right. I'd rather have this ability than big dick energy. Having, I mean, to be able to clear out a jet, uh, I'd have a swagger knowing that I could, knowing that I did it once and I could do it again, I would have the type of swagger that women would pick up on. They wouldn't know exactly what what it is, but it's uh, it's the confidence that comes with knowing I can turn a jet around in mid-flight. Just, you know, a little Chick-fil-A before takeoff, and I'm good to go. Man, I wish I were that guy. He's my hero. He's my hero. He used to be Bobby Kennedy. I want to find out who this guy is. I want to, I want to learn his secret. Well... Air Canada issued a formal apology to two passengers who got thrown off a flight because they complained their seat was covered in vomit. Air Canada said we were wrong. The passengers were right. It was vomit and we're sorry. What did you think it was? Chunks of Chanel number five? What has happened to air travel when the the cabin is so maladult? stinks so much that the flight attendants consider a steaming pile of vomit subject to debate. That's how bad air travel has gotten. People see vomit in a seat. Is it vomit? I don't know. What do you think? Let's bring in an expert. (sighs) Speaking of something special in the air, American Airlines says to lower their carbon footprint, they are allowing cabins to reach 90 degrees while passengers are boarding before they decide to turn the air conditioning on. 
wow, maybe I'm cranky and I hate people, but sitting in 90 degree heat, uh, I can't think of anyone I want to see that badly. But I don't, what's the point? Like, where are you going that you would sit in 90 degree heat on the tarmac and if you complained, you'd get arrested? There's nobody, nobody I want to see. It, like, my parents, get new parents. Your kids, adopt. It's not worth it. Uh, meanwhile, Politico reports that the European Union is looking into easing regulations so that airplanes in the future will have fewer pilots and eventually none. Here's something I'm working on. Passengerless airplanes. Jets that take off and land with nobody, absolutely nobody on board. No pilots, no flight attendants, no passengers. People take the bus or the train uh, instead of flying. Because is there... There's no place or person that you have to see immediately. You know, part of the thrill of traveling is the journey. The worst part of travel is getting there and, oh, hi, Grandma. Wow, this is going to be fun. Grandma. We're all connected, so we don't need to fly. The longer it takes to get someplace the better. We're all, I was talking to somebody in Paris yesterday, and we literally wasted time. We were on Zoom. I was talking to someone in Paris, and I said, hang on, I'm going to go run down to the bodega to get a sandwich. I'll be back in 10 minutes. There's no urgency. You just leave the Zoom on. I'll see you when I see you. We gave commercial aviation a century. Vomit in the seats. Okay. People don't know. We now have pilots and flight attendants who aren't quite sure if that's vomit in the seats. I think it's time to stop flying. Didn't work out. Take the train. Take mass transit. Planes are bad. They're bad for the environment. They're bad for the economy. Planes are bad. Burning Man is an annual event that celebrates sharing portable toilets with strangers. I'm told it also celebrates community, self-reliance, and artistic expression. But mostly, it's a celebration of sharing portable toilets with complete strangers, which is why Burning Man is on my bucket list. And by bucket list, I mean, when I go to Burning Man, I'm bringing my own bucket. Well, 73,000 idiots, I mean, Burning Man attendees were left stranded over the weekend in Nevada's Black Rock Desert after heaving rains created a mud so thick no vehicle could pass through it. So Marjorie Taylor Greene told Alex Jones that the mud was God's wrath because God is angry. She explained God is angry at the people go to Burning Man because Burning Man is a rat. This is what she said. Burning Man is a radical left plot to brainwash Americans into believing climate change is a bad thing. Hmm. So I guess climate change is a good thing, according to Marjorie Taylor Greene. 
Utah Republican Senator Mike Lee said the people at Burning Man were stranded because he said, quote, God's judgment is real, unquote. He then suggested that the people who were sitting in hours of traffic on their way out of Burning Man, he said they should consider converting to Christianity. <laughs> right? They're in like a 12-hour traffic jam. They smell. They're hungry. That's when you start thinking about taking Jesus into your heart. Effing moron. Well, before I wrap it up, my heart goes out to uh, Matt Schlapp. He is the chairman of the American Conservative Union, as well as CPAC. And in 2020, he was co-chair of Catholics for Trump. And he's a big election de denier. And he's happily married to Mercedes Schlapp. The two of them, they're, they're a, a power couple. He's a power bottom, but they're a power couple. And they've, you know, they've gotten some bad uh, news lately. This is, uh, that's uh, Matt Schlapp. Is that really Matt Schlapp as a biker? That can't be. Somebody must have doctored that. That's not real. Anyway, you know, bad headlines like, uh, you know, in January, a GOP operative came forward and accused Matt Schlapp of uh, forcibly holding his hand. And, and now he's suing Matt Schlapp for, you know, hand-holding assault and defamation. He's suing Mercedes for uh, defamation. And then the treasurer of CPAC quit accusing Matt Schlapp of financial irregularities and personnel mismanagement. And then, uh, then Friday... There was a, a probe, a, a CPAC uh, discovered that there are two more men who came forward accusing Matt Schlapp of wanting to hold hands with them. And this is really just it just gets worse for the Schlapps. Uh, then I reported that they uh, had two exorcisms at the CPAC offices Mercedes Schlapp. By the way, the voice of the exorcist was Mercedes McCambridge, and Matt Schlapp is married to a woman named Mercedes. I thought I would just point that out. Anyway, they, they, uh, they after some employees at CPAC quit, a lot of people quit because Matt Schlapp wouldn't give them raises. Uh, Mercedes, who also gets about $200,000 a year, working at CPAC, she and Matt decided to bring in a, an exorcist who sprinkled holy water around the place to get rid of the demons who were putting horrible thoughts inside the heads of uh, their employees, like give us a livable wage. Only, only Satan could put that in somebody's mind. This is true. They did hire... Uh, an exorcist, and they had a, a, an exorcism. And I have a picture. This is Matt. Sh hang on. This is Matt Schlapp's. Uh, this is his office. That's Matt Schlapp's. Uh, there he is, uh, waiting for the the priest to uh, to come in and exorcise the demons in Matt Schlapp. What is he doing with that? Is that a crucifix? Anyway. More bad news today for the Schlapps. Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, 
The Washington Post reports that a former employee at CPAC is suing the organization Matt Schlapp and Mercedes Schlapp personally, uh, alleging racial bias and sexism. And it's a defamation suit for about $50 million. I won't give you the name of the plaintiff, but this is what she, in the complaint, this is what she wrote, what she said about Matt Schlapp. The culture at CPAC was terrible as Matt Schlapp and his wife, Mercedes, ran the organization as if they were the king and queen, like a dictatorship which ignored rules, laws, and basic decency when dealing with employees. Well, that's unfair, uh, saying that it was run by a king and a queen. I'm pretty sure, based on this picture, it was just run by a, a queen and a queen. Matt Schlapp. It just gets worse for him, and nothing makes me happier. Bad guy, Matt Schlapp, bad, bad guy, Mercedes Schlapp, bad, 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 bad woman, bad. Let's enjoy their pain, because they deserve it, because they cause a lot of pain in this world. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. 